I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. So we've gone over the three-act structure, and we've gone over the seven anchor scenes. Now we're going to put them into action with a basic structural analysis of five movies, starting with Disney's Tangled. What I'm going to do here is just go through this from a conflict and structure standpoint. There are loads of interesting things to talk about with this movie, but we're going to focus for right now on just conflict and structure. I will return to Tangled later and how story works when we're all done with the basics of narrative theory and we get into advanced criticism. So if you have thoughts about the representation of feminine power or the nature of psychological antagonism, hold on to them. We are going to get there. We're also not going to fret about pacing right now. After we've done our five movies, I'll do an episode just on pacing, show you how to map out the anchor scenes on a timeline to get a visual sense of that pacing, and we'll do one episode with the paces for all five movies at that time. This week, we're starting with the basics, identifying the central narrative conflict and figuring out how the central narrative conflict launches, escalates, and resolves through the seven anchor scenes. And here's the thing about the seven anchor scenes. Not every movie is going to map perfectly to them. For instance, Tangled doesn't have a very obvious midpoint. I think it's there. I think I know where it is. But it took me a little while to find it. And that's okay. It doesn't mean the story is a failure or that you're a failure if you don't see it or if you see something different from what I saw. The value in this work is in the looking, not the answer. As you look for these things, you strengthen your critical muscles, your ability to see story structure unfold, and your ability to find the central narrative conflict. That's what matters, not that you got anything quote-unquote right. And there will be arguments to be made, and when I say arguments, I mean it in its highest sense, in that you put forth a theory and back it up with textual evidence. If you have an argument to make, the Chipperish Forum is a great place to have that discussion. Chipperish.com slash forum, look for the category for how story works, and you'll find a discussion board for this episode and every episode. Discussion with other smart people is hands down the best way to strengthen your skill set. Okay, let's dive in. The first step to analysis is always central narrative conflict. Now remember, you will not always be able to figure out the central narrative conflict until you've seen the whole movie. Sometimes, often, there will be multiple conflicts at play in any one story, and that's great. But it can be tough to see which one is central until the story's over, and that's all right. Instructions on how to engage in conflict and structure dissection can be found on the Chipperish website, along with the worksheet I made up to guide you through this process. Link is in the show notes. All right, central narrative conflict is defined by PGAG, protagonist, goal, antagonist, goal. I identified an external conflict entangled with Rapunzel as the protagonist. Her goal is specifically to get out and see the lanterns that fill the sky every year on her birthday. This is a specific representation of the broader goal, which is to start her own life rather than being an addendum to Mother Gothel's life. The antagonist is Mother Gothel. Her goal is to keep Rapunzel hidden away so she can control Rapunzel and use Rapunzel's power to keep her young forever. First things first, let's check for mutually exclusive goals. If Rapunzel gets out into the world and starts her own life, she will discover Mother Gothel's deceptions and be outside of Mother Gothel's control and influence. 
If Mother Gothel gets what she wants, control over Rapunzel, then Rapunzel can't leave her sphere of influence, the tower. And the tower is a beautiful physical representation of this essential conflict. But it all checks out. Mutually exclusive goals. If one wins, the other must lose. So we're good to go. So this story starts with a prologue. And here's the thing about prologues. The term comes from the Greek, pro meaning before and logos meaning word. So this is before the word, before the story. And because it is before the story, it is by its very nature, not the story. Remember, story starts when the conflict is launched. In the prologue, the story conflict isn't there yet because Rapunzel's goal isn't present. There's no one fighting Gothel here. No one knows what she's doing. The parents are sleeping when Gothel takes the baby. No one is blocking her and she's not blocking anyone. She takes the baby and it's over. It's done. No one can find her and we have an 18-year gap between the prologue and the rest of the story. Generally, and those who have been listening to me for a while will find this no surprise, I'm anti-prologue, because a lot of times it's simply used to deliver backstory, and that's not the story. However, there are certain applications of prologues where the value of what happens there earns it a space within the overall story. I think the prologue entangled earns its space for the following reasons. First of all, we have to remember our audience. A lot of them are children who look to mothers for love and protection. If we open the movie with interactions between Gothel and Rapunzel with apparently loving behavior, the psychological trauma of the child discovering how evil Gothel is, how manipulative and cruel to Rapunzel, could ruin their ability to enjoy the story. To know that she's not really Rapunzel's mother is something that will allow the children to engage with the story with lesser trauma. I think that's the right call. In addition, the prologue sets up what the lanterns are and what they represent, her true loving parents looking for their little girl. We get the source of Rapunzel's power and the information that cutting her hair means killing her magic. We see the evil selfishness of the sociopathic Gothel and the reason why this girl is being kept hidden in a tower. And for all of that, we spend five minutes. Also, we're referencing a very specific storytelling aesthetic here, the classic fairy tale, which always starts with world building, often with a very special baby girl, and then skipping forward to the coming of age. There's value in that reference as well. For all of these things, the prologue Entangled gets an enthusiastic pass from me. It earns its space because everything it does serves the overall story. Usually, prologues can be cut from a story without harming the story, and often the story is improved without them. The best way to analyze whether something serves the story or not is to imagine the story without it and ask yourself the question, is it better without? If that answer is yes, then cutting is the right call. If the answer is no, then leaving it in is the right call. But there is one thing that people think is important that isn't important at all whether the material in question is good or not. That does not matter. A scene may be brilliantly written, brilliantly expressed, and still not serve the overall story. This is where the common phrase, kill your darlings, comes from. It can hurt, but story is king. We serve at the pleasure of the story. And my answer to the protestations against the cut is this. If you wrote one brilliant scene that didn't serve the story, you can write another brilliant scene that does. 
Moving on, we get to our inciting incident, which is the moment when the conflict is launched. Some of you out there might have picked Rapunzel's I Want song, When Will My Life Begin? And it's easy to see why, because we're seeing what Rapunzel wants, to see the lanterns, to be free. We're getting her goal. But her goal isn't the conflict. The conflict happens when we see her goal first being challenged. And that doesn't happen until Mother Gothel comes home and says, no, you're not going anywhere. Mother knows best. The inciting incident isn't always in the first scene, and that's okay as long as it's as close to the top of the story as you can possibly get it. It is always my advice that you should tell your story walking, that you can get in story exposition while launching your conflict, and often that's true, but not always. I think here Tangled earns its slightly delayed inciting incident because we're speaking to both the aesthetic of the fairy tale and the musical, which often starts with a beautifully clear I want song that establishes a clear goal for our protagonist. In some cases, very likely in the movies we'll be discussing in the coming weeks, you're going to hear me say that a movie should tell its story walking, and that will be because in those movies, the delay just isn't justified. Here, in Tangled, I think there are a lot of arguments to say that it is. Story analysis is complicated, y'all. A cost-benefit analysis is essential with every decision, and every story will have different weights falling on either side of that scale. Okay, so we've got our inciting incident when Gothel tells Rapunzel she can't go see the lanterns. In this scene, we also see Mother Gothel telling Rapunzel how weak she is, how the world is too dangerous, how Rapunzel would never survive out there, and Rapunzel believes her because she doesn't know yet the expanse of her own capability. This is the beginning of Rapunzel's character arc, which we will revisit in more detail when we talk about character later in the How Story Works series. Next, we're looking for the Act 1 turning point, the active choice that Rapunzel makes to engage with the conflict. This is the moment after Mother Gothel returns and states emphatically that Rapunzel will never leave that tower, when Rapunzel asks Mother Gothel to get her the paints for her birthday. Rapunzel is getting rid of Mother Gothel for a three-day journey so she can leave and see the lanterns. She's making an active choice to engage with the conflict to get her way by tricking Mother Gothel. Obviously, Rapunzel has learned a trick or two about psychological manipulation in the years with Mother Gothel. So that's the act one turn. Rapunzel has engaged with the conflict, and now her relationship with the conflict has changed. Instead of staying in the tower and heeding Gothel's wishes and asking for permission, she's taking action and freeing herself. The next thing we're looking for is the midpoint, the reversal of fortune, and I think there are a few candidates for this one. Remember, the reversal of fortune alters the nature of the conflict between the antagonist and the protagonist. Information is discovered that changes how they each see the conflict, that raises the stakes, that escalates it further. One potential midpoint is when Gothel discovers that Rapunzel is gone. Although Rapunzel doesn't know that this has happened, it completely changes the conflict and creates a much more active conflict. If Gothel had gone on her merry way without realizing what Rapunzel was up to, then the conflict wouldn't be in the air. Gothel wouldn't have discovered that Rapunzel had escaped to see the lanterns until the deed was already done, and she wouldn't have been actively blocking Rapunzel throughout the story. We need this moment, and even though our protagonist doesn't know that this has happened, the conflict is severely impacted by it, and therefore, it rates as a midpoint. This is the scene that has my vote for midpoint. However, there are other things you can see here that can be candidates. 
When Rapunzel rides her emotional roller coaster, processing what she's done, alternating between her excitement and exhilaration and her guilt and despair, we see her growing stronger through this tempering process, and that strength contributes to her ability to stand on her own two feet. There's also the escape from the tavern, an event which Mother Gothel sets in place, where Rapunzel's essential capability saves the day against Gothel's attempts to take her down. And even though Rapunzel doesn't know she's won a battle against Gothel, she has, and it's the first time this has ever happened. I think there's an argument for this as the midpoint, too. Some people might even have chosen when she's honest with Flynn, showing him her glowing hair and healing his hand, saying she might not go back to the tower at all. This shows her growing independence, but I think this is a stronger moment for the romance story, not the central narrative conflict. So I'm going with Gothel discovering Rapunzel has gone, because without that moment, our conflict falters and dies. But anyone who chose any of these other points has a strong argument to make. Next, we get to the Act 2 turn, the active choice that Rapunzel makes to continue the conflict, the moment at which she is locked in and cannot go back. This is when Gothel confronts her at the campsite and tries to take her home. Rapunzel outright refuses, and Gothel turns to psychological tricks and manipulation, giving Rapunzel the satchel and the crown, setting her up to discover for herself that Flynn doesn't really love her and is just using her. Of course, Gothel is going to be sure that's exactly what Rapunzel thinks is happening. So even as it seems that Rapunzel has won in this moment when Gothel walks away and leaves her there, that is not at all the case. Now we're in Act 3, and things are happening quickly. Rapunzel and Flynn have fun at the fair, they witness the lanterns in the boat, and she trusts him with the satchel. He leaves, intending to return, but Gothel has the goons make it look like he's betrayed Rapunzel. And this is the dark moment. Rapunzel goes back to the tower with Gothel, and it seems as though the conflict is ended and Gothel is won. Dark moment. All is lost. However, we move into our climax when Rapunzel realizes who she is and, moreover, understands finally what Mother Gothel is. She stands up to Gothel, and Gothel stabs Flynn. The conflict is resolved when Rapunzel gives up her freedom to save Flynn. Her choice is to give in to Mother Gothel to save her love. The events that immediately follow, Flynn sacrificing his life by cutting Rapunzel's hair and killing Mother Gothel, are not in Rapunzel's power. She did not choose them. They happen, and she loses all, but regains her autonomy. Now let's zoom in a little bit here, because this is actually kind of cool. Our central narrative conflict resolves with Rapunzel losing. She gives in to Mother Gothel. And that conflict, in that moment, is immediately replaced by a conflict between Rapunzel and Flynn, another mutually exclusive conflict. She wants to give up her freedom to save him. He wants to give up his life to rescue her. She wants him alive. What he wants requires his death. Mutually exclusive conflict. So we have dropped off the wings of one eagle in midair, only to land on the back of another eagle already in flight. And you know what? It works. Flynn cuts her hair and Rapunzel loses the conflict again. Mother Gothel dies as a result, and Rapunzel's tears heal Flynn, but neither of these things are a result of something Rapunzel did with full knowledge of what would happen. They are lucky happenstance, and they move us into our happily ever after resolution scenes, the final anchor of the seven, where we see a family reunited, a love celebrated, and a kingdom whole once again. It's kind of brilliant. Next up on our structural analysis tour, a few good men. Get your pencils out, kids. This one's going to be fun. 
Today's episode is jam-packed, so people who have called in with questions, be a little patient with me. After we're done with the movie analysis of the next few weeks, I will dedicate one whole episode, or more if it's necessary, to just answering your questions. So please keep calling, especially if you have questions about the conflict and structure analysis we're doing with these stories. Call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works is a free college-level course in narrative theory and is entirely supported by listener donations. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can keep it in production and gain access to exclusive Chipperish content and a community of amazing, smart people. That's a hell of a bargain. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish for more information. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>